Uh, well, friends, I'm not sure how much you would pay for a doorknob, but uh, recently a particular doorknob was sold at auction for an obscene amount of money. Uh, as far as I could tell, there was nothing special about this doorknob. Uh, it was just an ordinary, run-of-the-mill uh, doorknob made from ordinary metal that ordinary doorknobs are made from. But it sold for thousands of dollars simply because, well, it was touched by someone great. Uh, it was actually part of the house owned by the great Hollywood actress Marilyn Monroe, and so it became very valuable. And uh, I was thinking to myself during the week that this is kind of like what the Christian person is, isn't it? Uh, we are a little bit like this doorknob. We are just ordinary people, but when other people see us, well, they should be able to see that we have been touched by someone great. They should be able to see that there is something different about us, that we have the fingerprints of God, so to speak, about us. Now, uh, we saw last week, uh, as Sam taught us from the Sermon on the Mount, um, uh, this very point. Uh, we've been working our way through Jesus' famous sermon in Matthew's Gospel. And uh, listen to what Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 16. If you have your Bibles there with you, uh, turn with me to chapter 5, verse 16, uh, which we saw last week. Uh, Jesus says in verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, Jesus says, If you are my disciple, you will live in such a way that when others see your life, well, they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When they see the things that you do and the things that you say and the decisions you make and the life that you live, they will begin to think that there is something different about you. There is the touch of God about you. And they will give glory not to you, but to the Father in heaven. But friends, what kind of life will do this? What kind of life will do this? Uh, you may have noticed in uh, verse 16 that Jesus speaks about good works that the disciples will do. But what kind of good works is Jesus talking about here? Uh, I mean, lots of my non-Christian friends, uh, I must say, are very decent people uh, who do many uh, good works, so to speak. Uh, often these good works bring praise and glory to themselves, but it certainly doesn't lead anyone to give glory to the Father in heaven. So what kind of life is Jesus talking about here when he says that uh, as my disciples you will do such good works that other people around you give glory to your Father in heaven? Uh, well, you can see in our passage this morning that Jesus' answer is that his disciples are to live a life 
that is in obedience to the law. Uh, His disciples are to live in obedience to God's law. Uh, Now, when Jesus speaks about the law here, uh, he's speaking about the first five books of the Old Testament, which is commonly called the law. Um, They contain uh, many different things, but uh, they contain especially the commandments of God, which are summarised in the Ten Commandments. Uh, But here, I want you to see that Jesus says three very important things about the law. Uh, Firstly, notice that Jesus says that he has come to fulfil the law. Uh, You can see it there in verse 17, can't you? Uh, Come down with me to verse 17. Uh, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What does Jesus mean when he says that he has come to fulfill the law? Well, some people think that it means that Jesus came to obey uh, the, the, the righteous requirements of the law. He came in obedience to the law. Uh, But I don't think that's what Jesus means here, uh, even though I'm sure Jesus did obey the law. No, the word for fulfill that you see there uh, in verse 17 uh, literally means to fill up. Uh, It's a bit like filling up a jug to the top so that the the water level rises, so that the water reaches its, its final end. It's talking about something reaching its destined end point, you see. And so when Jesus says that he fulfills the law, he's saying that he is the the end point of the law. He is the one that the law pointed forward to. And so that he is now the one who can tell us with great authority what the law is all about given that the law had always pointed forward to him. But secondly, notice that God's law in the Old Testament has permanent application. Uh, You can see it there in verse 18. Uh, Verse 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, does anyone know what an iota is? Who knows what an iota is? Sorry? A moment? Uh, I'm not sure whether that's one of the meanings. It could be, but... uh, uh, I, I'm not, I don't think that's the one that uh, Jesus is, is thinking about here. Has anyone done high school maps here? No one. <laughs> um, an, I, an iota is just um, a, a, a letter in the Greek alphabet that looks a bit like an I. You know the one I'm talking about? Uh, you probably used it in high school maths. Um, But it's actually derived from a letter in the Hebrew alphabet called the Yod, uh, which is just this tiny little mark that looks a bit like an apostrophe. 
the dot that Jesus mentions here uh, is actually a, a tiny, squiggly little bit at the end of some, some letters in the Hebrew alphabet that, that is used to distinguish some letters from uh, other letters. Uh, it's a bit like... Um, sorry? Going back to front. Oh, it's a J, J back to front, yes. It's a little hook, yeah. That's right. And it's used to distinguish uh, that letter from some of the other, other letters. Yeah, um, Ian's an expert in the, in the Hebrew uh, alphabet, so uh, you can speak to Ian afterwards uh, about it. Uh, but you get the point, don't you? What, what Jesus is saying here is that every little part of God's, word, uh, God's law is to have permanent application. Uh, it's going to have permanent application until heaven and earth pass away and Jesus brings in the new creation. Nothing in the law is to be irrelevant disciple of Jesus, no matter how small you may think it is. In fact, the one who is casual towards the law and influences other people to be casual towards the law will not be esteemed by God. He will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Notice, says Jesus. On the other hand, the one who is careful to obey God's law and to teach others to obey God's law will be held in the highest esteem by God. He will be called great in the kingdom of, of heaven, says Jesus. Now, friends, what is your attitude and uh, my attitude towards the law and the commandments of God? Uh, are we in the habit of being casual and excusing ourselves from being obedient to the law? Are we leading others astray by our casualness when it comes to the word of God and to, in particular to the law? Or are we careful to read it and to obey it because we know that God's law is enduring uh, when we are disciples of Jesus. But thirdly, notice that the only ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven are those who are better at keeping the law than the scribes and the Pharisees. And those who enter the kingdom of heaven will be the ones who have exceeding righteousness, even more than the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, you can see it there in verse 20. Verse 20 Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, now, friends, uh, uh, I don't think we feel the weight of uh, what Jesus says here very much because uh, we know that the scribes and the Pharisees are the bad guys. Is that true? Uh, if you've read the Bible a bit, uh, then you'll know that the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones who are constantly in conflict with Jesus. And so uh, in our minds, uh, they've become the villains, if you like. Uh, I mean, if, if I were to say to you uh, that uh, you are a room full of Pharisees, uh, I'm sure uh, no one is taking that as a compliment at the moment. Is that right? 
But here's the thing. The scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day were actually the good guys. Uh, More than that, they were the ones who were obsessed with the law of God. The scribes were the scholars who put over God's law so that they, uh, they knew the law back to front. The Pharisees were the leaders of a movement who were actually encouraging people to go back to the scriptures so that they could be obedient to God's law. In fact, they were so fanatical about keeping God's law that when God's law told them to give 10% of their income to God, you know what they did? Well, they went into their backyards and they started to pick every 10th herb from their herb garden, every 10th dill and mint and, and cumin, so that they could tithe that to God. And so if Jesus is saying that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness or law-keeping exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, well, the disciples would have wondered, who on earth then can enter the kingdom of heaven? It was an astonishing thing to say to you that you can't enter heaven unless you run faster than Usain Bolt. It's just an impossible thing to do, you see. But friends, there is a danger in obsessing over the law like the Pharisees, isn't there? For if you know the law really, really well, then it's possible to be a person of the law while all the time ignoring and disobeying the spirit of the law. In fact, what the Pharisees did was that they built uh, what they called a hedge around the law. They, they came up with all these other rules and regulations that made the, made more manageable, more manageable to keep the letter of the law, even though they weren't very interested in keeping the law of God from the heart. They just wanted to do the bare minimum. And these hedges allowed them to do the bare minimum so that they could convince themselves they were righteous before God. Now, uh, we see this sort of time, don't we? Um, Before I went into full-time Christian ministry, uh, I worked as a tax consultant uh, for four years with a large accounting firm. It was my job to be a Pharisee and to help other Pharisees. My job was to help companies and wealthy to pay the least amount of tax without uh, actually breaking the taxation laws. Uh, Even though these companies and individuals were so extraordinarily wealthy that they could afford to pay their fair share of tax so that the government can help those who are more in need, Well, they chose instead to spend large amounts of money employing people like me to find loopholes in the law so that they can pay as little tax as possible, all the while doing it legally. Uh, We do this on the roads as well, don't we? Uh, Our government has decided that 60 kilometres an hour is the speed at which we kept safe on, on our footpaths and roads. And so what do we do? Well, we drive at 
62 kilometers an hour on the roads. Because we've worked out that the speed cameras can't actually detect that extra two kilometers. And so we think we can get away with, with it. If we really wanted to keep the spirit of the law, if we really cared for and loved our other people on the road, then we would drive at 58 kilometers an hour. But no, we are classic Pharisees and we give ourselves permission to speed without officially breaking the law. You see, it is possible to do the bare minimum and keep the law, even though you have no interest in keeping the law. But here, I want you to notice that Jesus cuts right through this kind of nonsense. For Jesus can see your heart and my heart. And so he says to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is speaking about here to his disciples is, is about true obedience to God from the heart. It's what the prophet Ezekiel was looking forward to in our Old Testament reading. Uh, this morning. In Ezekiel, God's people are in slavery, they're in exile uh, in the foreign nation of Babylon because of their sin and disobedience and religious hypocrisy. But in Ezekiel 36, God says that a day is coming when He will give His people a heart transplant. He will remove the heart of stone from His people that lived in hypocrisy, and He will give them a new heart. A heart of flesh. And he will pour out his spirit into their lives so that they can、uh, obey God from the heart. Friends, do you, and I, do you and I obey God wholeheartedly? Or do we just do the bare minimum, thinking that somehow that makes us acceptable to God? Just like the scribes and the Pharisees. This isn't a light matter that Jesus is speaking about here. For entry into the kingdom of heaven is at stake. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you and I are to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, friends,、uh, In the next section,、uh, from verse 21 to 48, you notice that Jesus gives six, six examples of what it looks like to obey God from the heart. Now, obviously, we won't have time to go through、uh, all the examples today,、uh, but what we will do is、uh, we'll have a look at the first example、uh, and the last example and、uh, see if we can cover some of the, the ones in the middle next week. Uh, now, you'll see there in verse 21、uh, that the first example on Jesus' lips has to do with the law against murder.、Uh, what would the Pharisee do with the law against murder? Well,、uh, he would say to himself, as long as I don't take a knife and plunge it into someone's heart, As long as I don't physically kill another person, 
I will have kept the law on murder. Now, that's the bare minimum pharisaical approach to the law. Uh, even though I might hate my next door neighbour and rage against the person who cut me off on the road and be bitter towards uh, many of my family members, as long as I haven't physically murdered anyone, well, I'm okay with God. But what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? He gets to the heart of what the law about murder is all about. And he says that even anger can lead a person to hell. For you see, murder starts in the heart, doesn't it? It starts with anger and rage and bitterness in the heart which eventually can lead to the unthinkable happening. Now, some people will act on these emotions and end up taking another person's life. I don't know, perhaps there are people here who have taken another person's life before. But we all know what it's like to be intensely angry with another person. Isn't that true? Some people would like to murder another person, but it's just that they are too cowardly to follow through with that desire. But do you think that God will say to the murderer that he is guilty, but say to the one who is full of anger and rage and bitterness that they are innocent? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so what will it look like for the disciples to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees? Well, it will look like trying everything within your power to be reconciled to the person you are angry with or to another person who you know is angry towards you. For the law against murder is really a law that is not just against the physical act of murder, but it's a law that seeks peace and harmony among people, isn't it? Now let's let's pick it up from verse 23. Verse 23, So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. I'm thinking of a lady in our church who recently told me that she noticed another uh, Christian sister becoming angry with her and uh, avoiding her uh, whenever their their eyes met. Uh, She didn't quite know why this other lady was uh, quite so angry. And so uh, she gave her a call and uh, arranged to meet at a cafe. And uh, at the cafe, she said to the lady, Uh, If there is anything that I have done to hurt you, uh, please let me know, because 
I want to apologise if I've hurt you in any way. Now, there are still things that need to be worked out in this particular relationship. But that is a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, isn't it? It would have been so easy for this lady to just keep on coming to church and play the religious game, even though she was not reconciled to her Christian sister. But God will have nothing to do with that kind of hypocrisy. Go and be reconciled first, says Jesus. Then come to church. Now, friends, you can see a very similar pattern in the final example in verse 43. Um, It's the the law about love uh, in verse 43. Uh, It comes from that famous law in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, uh, which says, You shall love your neighbour as yourself. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Now, what would the Pharisee do with this particular law? Uh, Well, you can see what the Pharisees did uh, in verse 43. Uh, They said, if I just have to love my neighbour, then perhaps that means that I can hate my enemy. If it's just my neighbours that I have to love, well, maybe I can hate my enemy and that would be okay. But what does Jesus say? Well, he says, if you are my disciples, you are to love not just your neighbour, but also your enemies and those who persecute you. In fact, you are to be like your Father in heaven who shows love and mercy not just to his friends, but also to his enemies. You see, when God makes the sun rise and shine, he doesn't just give sunlight to the Christian people, does he? Um, It's not as though, you know, Christian people have the sun shining over the top of them and non-Christian people walk around in perpetual darkness. No. The sun shines on God's enemies as well as his friends. Or when God sends the rain, uh, you don't see the clouds gathering just over the Christian farmers so that their farm is well you know, watered, whereas the non-Christian farmers live in perpetual drought. No, God sends rain on those who are his friends as well as his enemies. And so if you are a disciple of Jesus and you want to obey God's law from the heart, then you are to love not just your friends or those who love you back or only the Christians. No, even the mafia boss loves his friends and his family. But you are to love those who are not your friends. Yes, even to the extent of loving your enemies and those who despise you and malign you and speak ill against you because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you are to be like God, says Jesus. That's what Jesus means in verse 48 when he says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Friends, do you and I just love our friends? 
Or does our love extend beyond our friends? Um, I'm always encouraged to see many of us welcoming new people uh, who come to our church. Uh, I know that there are many uh, of you who always make it your business uh, to uh, open your arms and welcome uh, people you do not know uh, who come to church. Uh, You invite others to lunch and to your homes. Uh, You read the Bible with new people and help them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Uh, You do much more than the bare minimum. But equally, I know that there are some of us who over the years have made very little effort to love others outside of our circle of friends. And Jesus would say to you, how is that different to the pagan person? If you are my disciple, you are to be like God. You are to love not just your friends and those who love you back, but also those who are not your friends, even your enemies. I wonder what church would look like, friends, if we can obey God from the heart in the way that Jesus speaks about. I wonder what our lives, if our lives extended uh, more and more beyond ourselves and the circles that we move in. Uh, Well, friends, uh, let me finish up. When I was at Moore College, uh, I made it all the way to the annual table tennis final. Uh, I must admit, uh, I was a little bit cocky. And uh, I thought I would win this final, you know, prestigious match uh, fairly easily. However, uh, my cockiness soon disappeared when I faced off against a Chinese student who I'm sure played some kind of representative table tennis uh, at, at, at a high level. Uh, by the time the match was over, uh, I had very few points on the board and uh, I was left exhausted after having done most of the running around uh, in the match. You see, in the face of perfection, all my weaknesses and imperfections were exposed. What is Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount? I think what he is doing is he is holding up the perfect law of God so that the law can do what it always does in the scriptures, which is to expose sin. It exposes our hypocrisy. It shows us uh, how spiritually bankrupt we really are so that in our spiritual poverty, we might hunger and thirst for a righteousness that is not our own, but can only be found at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I hope and pray that as we've gazed into God's perfect law this morning, that God has shown us how far short we fall from his perfect standard. So that we might be driven in desperation to the cross of Jesus for grace and mercy. And having found grace and mercy 
in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, what we find is that Jesus keeps sending us back to the law so that we might learn to obey God's law from the heart. Not doing just the bare minimum, but doing the maximum because we really want to serve and obey him. Are you someone whose righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for our morning together. We thank you for your perfect law. We thank you that it reveals to us something of your perfect and righteous character. And we thank you that it reveals our sin and imperfections. And we confess that we so often have fallen short of your law. We have often done the bare minimum rather than obeying you from the heart. And so please forgive us and drive us to the cross of our Lord Jesus in order to find grace and mercy from him. And Father, we pray that you would continue to transform our hearts so that we might be the ones who obey Jesus, not just on a surface level, but because we really want to with all our heart and mind and soul. And we ask that our righteousness might indeed surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees and that we would shine in such a way that when others see our lives, they would give glory to you, our Father in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.